And I don't like Facebook. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm, I'm very comfortable on Twitter. When we saw this and realized that it tied into that, it made me even more giddy. Absolutely. The scariest part to, of this movie to me is the one guy in the tent. Oh my God, that just freaked me out so much. Well, if you're thinking that talking about horror movies is a great way to take your mind off the uh, horror that you've been seeing on the news, we agree with you. Welcome. <laughs> this is the Fright Club Podcast. We're glad you're here. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we are back after last time doing it live and talking about the best of 2020, trying to uh, ring out a horrible year by talking about some good points. And we found some, not only... Our favorites, our actual list. We got it down to, how many did we get it down to, 10? We got it down to 10, although I think we mentioned about 23. Yeah, <laughs> and had some great comments along the way. It's always fun to do a live Facebook event because we get that that live interaction that, of course, we're missing when we have used to do it out live in front of an audience, which we hope to get back to sometime soon. But it's great to see all the comments pop up on screen and see everybody's faces and, and get reacquainted that way. And everybody, as always, had some great recommendations even if we didn't maybe agree it was great to see him chime in it was i think my favorite was the conversation around the movie the lodge because it quickly deteriorated in comments to their thanksgiving rituals (laughs) and the decorations and and things like that and of course the terrible terrible dad just the dumbass dad so that was always fun but the comments are always so much fun well i always love when basically some people just use our live events as a way to splinter off into their own arguments which we're happy <laughs> we're happy to be that platform that's right we're happy to support that uh, and speaking of platforms by the way this we finally got around to something that was a suggestion from a, a fright club listener and apologies i forget who it was but we love you because it was at the end of the year really toward the end of the year somebody said hey have you ever thought of making a, a, a group for Fright Club on Facebook, and the honest answer was no. Uh, We hadn't thought about that, but it was a great idea, and we kind of filed it away uh, for New Year's resolutions, and wouldn't you know it, we got to it and we got it done, so it's out there. Yeah, and the one downside of this is it means I have to get on Facebook, because (laughs) I I thought I could just comment as Mad Wolf, but you can't comment from that kind of a page, which means I'm going to, and I don't like Facebook, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm I'm very comfortable on Twitter. I'm comfortable enough that we have two different Twitter pages, (laughs) I just... I don't like Facebook, but I'm going to do it so that I can contribute to this because we actually, we put out there, we said, we're going to do cosmic horror. What are some thoughts? And we got some great thoughts. Oh, we did. So just find it on Facebook. It's a Fright Club podcast. There, I did find a bunch of other groups called Fright Club stealing our name, man. I'll tell you what, wait till the lawyers get on your asses. That's okay. So it's called Fright Club podcast is the group on Facebook. And all you got to do is just hit join and I'll get an email and I will approve you just like that. And You'll you, approve me, right, when I finally have um, a... You know, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. It's just started. Got a bunch of members, though, uh, early on that are uh, posting a lot of fun stuff. And we're just having fun talking about not only ideas for this podcast, but just horror movies in general. Yep. Fun stuff. I try to do a, a fright of the day, a little clip from a from a scary movie once a day just to, just to keep it, uh, you know, keep the subject going. So it's a lot of fun. So Fright Club Podcast, the group on Facebook. 
Love to have you out there as we uh, got a lot of good, as, as Hope said, we got a lot of good ideas right out of the gate for this podcast, talking about cosmic horror. And we'll do that. We'll do that every time. We'll just throw it out there. Hey, what do you think? Because, yeah, there were some great ideas. And I'm going to ignore a lot of the ideas. I'm not going to lie to you. But you're welcome to suggest <laughs> So then things. nothing changes in 2021. Good to know. See, now you know how I feel, ignoring all my ideas. I get one or two in there. But uh, but we did get some great ideas, and so as we get to uh, a special guest, did we mention that we have a special guest? We didn't. Holy moly. We have a special guest author that we've been wanting to get on the show here for a while, and we've worked that out today. We're glad to have her. So we'll get to our guest and talk about her great new book and what she's got going on and her love for the subject that we're talking about today. But before we get into that, since we are talking about authors today, we've got a special guest author here on the show. We've actually got two because you received some fantastic news here in the last few days. I did. Off Limits Press is going to publish publish my first book, uh, Roost, which is going to come out in February of 2022. And how would you, I, I described it as, what did I, what did I say? It was a, a horror memoir, but they've come up with maybe a better description. Yeah, it's a coming of age horror story, but it is actually based, as we were talking about the other day, it's based on my childhood with just a scattering of murders that didn't happen. <laughs> More murders from your childhood than actually happened. <laughs> More, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> really exciting. So uh, we just, we, we couldn't wait to share that news. And uh, congratulations again to Hope. And actually, Off Limits Press, you're going to join uh, the the stable of authors that includes our special guest today as well. That's right. And it's a great group and I'm really proud. Yeah, some great books in there. So, And one coming, February of 2022. So more details about that when it gets closer. But yeah, congratulations again. So we get into talking about cosmic horror. You want to start out with the stuff you considered that didn't make the list yeah. or just uh, introduce our guest? Well, we could kind of do both because when we um, talked with Haley Piper, who's the author of a great new book called The Worm and His Kings, we talked about what would be a good topic, what, you know, what'd be a topic she'd be interested in, in discussing. And we, we actually hashed out several options, all of which we will eventually do, George, because one of them, because the book is set in New York City, was New York City horror. And it turns out really quickly, I'm, I thought of like 20 really excellent movies. So we will eventually do some of the others. But we landed on cosmic horror, which is the type of book that this is written by Haley Piper. And again, thank you so much, Haley, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Glad to do it. And first off, I got to say, I love the title of the book. I know. I was very... The Worm and His Kings. Was, Ooh. From the very first time I was seeing, because we follow Off Limits Press, which is the, the press that published the book, and we, we follow them. And so I had been seeing this title for weeks before I could actually get a copy of the book. It's a great title, and it's a great book. And you were telling us before we came on, it's really your first cosmic horror. This is your third book. You have a novel and a compilation of shorts coming out soon. What made you, or it just happened that as you sort of inspiration, what inspired this sort of to take this in a cosmic direction? It was mostly just kind of wanting to take it to where the story would be strongest. Um, There were other ways it could have leaned. It could have leaned more towards the cult or folk horror just because of the the people worshiping the worm in the book, but it 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 lent itself best to the cosmic route. It lent itself best to the sense of the I don't great terribleness of of what's happening that's beyond the human characters in the book. We like it already. We like we like <laughs> where your head's at. So you're you're all about the cosmic horror, which and which we'll talk about. It's funny because this is not our favorite. A cosmic horror for neither one of us is is our favorite. But that's that's good though for us to dig into something that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise without these ideas or without a guest like yourself. So that's good. So when we started digging in. What were some of the other ones that you considered before? Because we've got six. We've got a top six, top five. We've got the fuzzy math, the cosmic fuzzy math. 
But you've got others here on the list to mention. Yeah, well, the first thing that I wanted to do is not go straight Alien, right? We've done that. Um, even though the like the brilliant film Alien and the brilliant film The Thing are clearly very cosmic, they're very Lovecraft, very. They're very Lovecraft. And of course, most of the stuff on here leans heavily Lovecraft, but I didn't want it to just be sort of alien stuff. I wanted it to be something that was more like mind-bendy, time travel, parallel universe, you know, old ones. I just wanted it to be a little bit more than just alien invasion. Uh, And there are a lot of, I mean, there are a million really, really good movies and movies that are worth checking out. One of them that didn't make the final list that I don't think a lot of people have seen that I want to recommend is called Final Prayer. It's great. And it starts off, you think it's a different kind of film entirely. And then it really pulls the rug out from under you. And uh, and it's just fascinating. It's an Irish movie. Not a lot of people saw it. And there are a couple of others that were obvious potential choices. The Void, which is a lot of fun. Um, from Beyond, which is also a lot of fun. Color Out of Space, an obvious choice because it is Lovecraft. And it's Nicolas Cage, who who tends to be sort of cosmic and horrific no matter what he's making. <laughs> I, I say that with love. Um, <laughs> Kevin in the Woods, I thought was a good, that was really on the short list for a while. And then Call of Cthulhu, uh, and really anything by the Lovecraft Society. They just, Nathan, a friend of ours, Nathan lent me a bunch of Lovecraft Society DVDs at one point. He came to one of the live events because I had not seen enough Lovecraft and he, and they really are fun and loving the way they're put together. Um, and then there were some recommendations from the group that didn't make it. Uh, Jamie wanted Jason X on there. I reviewed the film Jason X when it came out. And I remember my positive comment being that David Cronenberg is in it. Um, That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Katie wanted Life Force, which is a fun movie. And, and uh, uh, yeah, but I think Life Force has, there's a cult out there for Life Force. It's because that woman is naked the entire film. Well, that could be part of yeah, it. Yeah, that has something to do with it. Die Monster Die. Dave wanted to see the Dunwich Horror. It was one of, Mason had a whole list. He had his own podcast ready to go. And one of them was Dunwich Horror. And then Daniel Schlocketeer, he recommended Under the Skin, which is a brilliant Love Amazing film. I don't I don't personally see it as horror, so it did not make this list, but it is a great movie that everybody should see. That's interesting. I, I mean, I, I understand how some people wouldn't. It's very sci-fi, very cosmic. I probably still would consider it horror, though, especially for the end. Mm. But that's that's up to you. Okay. Those are good recommendations. Any others, uh, Haley, that you thought of uh, before we get into it that uh, we didn't mention? I think you named all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we did name a lot. <laughs> we did. <laughs> that's, the, that's the strategy. If you name them all, then... Uh, <laughs> Then you're safe. It's the old CYA. Okay. Um, so you want to dive in then to yeah. our, our top six, top five? And I'm always I'm always glad to talk about this because I can really poke the knife in and, and say that Hope doesn't like this movie, although she does. Although this is one of the ones that I like more. And this is from 1987. A woman discovers the newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law. She starts killing for him to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he escaped their sadistic underworld. It's Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Beyond any terror you have imagined. A nightmare. No. Unlike anything you have witnessed. Is born. Because within these walls holy is unleashed. Hellraiser, a film by Clive Barker. We'll tear your soul apart. When we were talking about this before we were taping, Haley, you were happy to see this 
make the list. You said a lot of people think about it as supernatural, but you agree that it is cosmic in its horror and that it always had a big effect on you. Yes, um, this this movie's had influenced on, on me since I was a teenager. Because oh yeah, a lot of people see it as supernatural or occult. They see it as like hell, demons, and I know that's in the title, but I think that's just the way that a lot of us look at the world. The way I see, I've always seen this movie is just this suggestion that there are other worlds hiding around us. Like they're reachable through our walls, around the corners. They could be just you open a closet, and it's there, and all it takes is a bad music note, a wrong touch, this weird shape of an object, and it can just open up all those nightmares and wonders for you. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, we've talked many times uh, about this movie and how much I like it. I, I recognize, looking back, that, okay, it probably it didn't have the biggest budget at the time, but I think it does a lot, a lot, with what it has in the story, in the final girl, so to speak. To me, she's so much better because she's working things out intelligently. She's not just screaming and yelling. It really is, to me, is one of the one of the best of the the '80s type of of horror movies like this. And uh, and of course, you get this, these Cenobites out of it, which are great. Pinhead has become an iconic <laughs> character in horror. So I'm glad to, I'm glad to give us a chance to talk about this and just uh, rub it into hope that she doesn't like That's it. That's not true. I love this movie. <laughs> I just I don't like it as well as you do, but I do love this. Movie. Movie. I love uh, and and Clive Barker. This is really his wheelhouse. I mean, he there are a ton of Clive Barker movies either that he wrote or wrote and directed. Nightbreed, even like Midnight Meat Train comes to mind that could, that could also fit into this concept. And then I also think that Event Horizon is another one where yeah. I think they both suggest that it's kind of like what you're saying, Haley. That what we sort of consider hell isn't necessarily like a biblical place. It's it's another. It, it could be right around the corner. You know, it could, it's just another sort of dimension of what, what we're living right now. I think that Event Horizon does that same thing. A Hellraiser, to me, just does it much more interestingly. I mean, I love the characters. I love Julia. I love the villains. I love all of the villains in this movie. And uh, and I just do think it was, it was a fascinating concept. And it was, especially for the budget, pretty well executed. And I always love to hear about great ad libs. And there's one in here, apparently, uh, Andrew Robinson, actor Andrew Robinson, convinced Clive Barker to replace near the end the line was supposed to be F you and he ad libbed it Jesus wept. Brilliant. Oh wow. Perfect. So much better. <laughs> so number six on our list of cosmic horror Hellraiser from eighty seven. Love it. All right, we'll go into top five and this is one Hope wanted on here because thinks that this might have slipped through the cracks for a lot of people. Maybe one that uh, hasn't been seen. And that's what we love to do here on Fright Club. Point out maybe some films that uh, people haven't seen and can go check out. So this is from 2000. The inhabitants of a small Japanese town become increasingly obsessed with and tormented by spirals. It's Uzumaki or Spiral. Yeah, this is one I remembered like in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh my God, we got to put a spiral on this list. And so we hadn't even prepared Haley for that fact before we got on the Surprise! <laughs> but it's funny because I had no idea there was a movie. I know there's an anime adaptation coming right. out sometime this year, but I had no idea that there was a prior movie. Yeah, because it is. It's a, it's a famous manga. The film came out in 2000. It's a Japanese film. And I think that it kind of went... Underseen because it came out in the middle of, like, in you remember the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s, the Japanese horror tended to be very ghostly, you know? And this is yeah. not. It's, it's very Lovecrafty, you know? It's just a town 
that slowly but surely they all lose their mind as they become obsessed with it starts with a snail shell and the spiral in the snail shell. And then people just start seeing spirals everywhere. And then spirals actually do start to take over things like people's hair and and their clothes and their hands. And it's funny. This movie was first recommended to me by two different people, two friends of mine, Melissa and Bridget, both of whom have just this masses of glorious curls. And I think that's why they were so (laughs) intrigued by this film. But it's, first of all, it's really well executed visually in terms of the way they just bring spirals into everything and make things look nutty. It's a nutty film. It's um, sometimes borderline comedy in a way that I'm not positive and is intentional because I feel like for me, a lot of times when I watch an Asian film, I don't know whether they're trying to be funny and I don't get it or whether they're not trying to be funny and I don't get it. Either way, it comes (laughs) off and it suits this, especially while it suits this topic, because everybody basically goes a little bit mad. Early on, about just about five or six minutes into the film, when we first see the angry cop, he looks at a wanted poster, and on the wanted poster is the image of the author of the manga, Junji Ito. Junji Ito. Yeah, exactly. And this was actually, the movie was filmed before the manga had completed its run, so it's got a different ending and and different origins from the manga, which is interesting. It is interesting, and it's a fun movie. Fun enough to be at number five on our list of cosmic horror, Uzumaki Spiral from the year 2000. Moving up to number four, a classic here from 95. An insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational in the mouth of madness. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a set. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. (sighs) I know this book will drive people crazy. Let's hope so. The movie comes out next month. I think beyond anything else, this movie uh, goes down in history as the feature debut of Hayden Christensen. <laughs> is that why we're talking about it? It is not. It's not? No. <laughs> well, re- actually, one of the first things that jumps out to me about this is, of course, when you're talking about an author and so much of the author in this uh, movie makes you think of Lovecraft, still though the name, Sutter Kane. Oh, yeah. Like, how close can we get to Stephen King? <laughs> Shmeven Shming should have been, <laughs> been the uh, the name of the author. <laughs> But it's Sam Neill, who's always great, and he is the insurance investigator who uh, investigates a little bit more than he bargained for. It's such a fun movie. And this is another one. I love the title so much, In the Mouth of Madness. It could easily have been The Mind of Madness, which would have been as boring as possible. It could have been The Eye of Madness, because it's what you're seeing that's driving you crazy. I love the title so much. And Sam Neill, we are going to have to, at some point, do a whole podcast on Sam Neill, because we already, right? I mean, we already mentioned Event Horizon. He's got the Omen, right? He's in one of the Omen movies. He's in Possession, which is, I think, his very best movie. It's my favorite Sam Neill movie. And it also, I thought, was maybe could possibly fit into cosmic horror. Uh, and then the Jurassic Park movies, if you want to. I mean, he's just so great in everything. Plus, his Twitter feed is just as charming as it can be. I knew you were going to bring up the Twitter. <laughs>
But also, um, Jurgen Prucknow from Das Boot and the Seventh Sign, who plays Sutter Kane, and he he has just an otherworldly sort of presence in everything where you're not sure, are you completely sinister? Or are you sort of, as he was in the Seventh Sign, Messiah-like? He, he does. He has such a look. As soon as you saw his face, if you didn't know his name, you would think to yourself, that guy's name should be Jurgen Prucknow <laughs> because it fits his face so well. But I think one of the things I like about this movie is that it's not... Lovecraft. They don't adapt a Lovecraft story, but they work so many of them right. directly into this one town. And the idea of one town where everything happens is in itself so Stephen King. So I just love the way it's really a Lovecraft movie. But like you said, it was Sutter Kane. I love the way they pull both of them together. Of course, they were both New England writers anyway. And I think that that geographically works really well and I love more than anything and I think it's a very sort of John who directed John Carpenter John Carpenter kind of idea is not just that you know this sort of unreality maybe could easily be reality but that it somehow is also a contagion that has to do with creation and writing. I mean, the whole thing, I just think, is a big, very heady, mind-bendy, really fun trip into madness. That's one of the things I love with it, because before you even know what's going on, you have that part where Sam Neill is um, hes reading one of Sutter Kane's books, and he's seeing the scene of the you know officer beating a guy, and he mm-hmm. sees it again, and he sees it again. It's like Sutter Kane is, is revising a paragraph at that moment. Or I'm um, trying to get that, trying to get it right. And just as a writer, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I know what that feels like. Not from sitting there watching it horrified and existing in it, unfortunately. Or just the things with a character being being written out later so nobody actually knows, has ever heard her except for Sam Neill's character. Just little details like that just make the whole world feel so malleable. I do love that. I love that so much about this. And I love that her character says he's still right. Like she doesn't know what she's got to do next. He's still writing me. I thought that was really, really great. And I also love little, just little horrific moments to it, like the the old woman, the old woman at the front desk in the hotel. And you can hear that there's something happening on the floor behind there. And then when you finally see what it is, you're like, oh, my God. And to me, in terms of the horror of it, I like those kind of elements more than when you actually see sort of the big tentacled madness. I never. Yeah. You know, I think I think when you're a little kid and you you're going to grow up to be a big horror fiend. Right. When you're a little kid, you you inadvertently make a choice. You either go Poe or you go Lovecraft. And I went Poe. And so the Lovecraft Same here. Same here. Lovecraft stuff I find interesting. I never find it scary. Poe kind of things and things that have spun off from there I find scarier. So I do I like all of these movies. I think they're very interesting. And I think In the Mouth of Madness is so brilliant in the way it's conceived. I just when it gets to sort of the yeah, the tentacled madness beasts at the end, that doesn't that doesn't do it for me. Yeah, this is the third film in what John Carpenter calls his apocalypse trilogy. Of course the thing. Second Prince of Darkness, which is kind of the weak link in that trilogy. And then wrapping it up here within the Mouth of Madness, 1995, number four on our list of cosmic horror. Let's get a little bit more recent for number three. This is by a couple of our favorite filmmakers to come out in the last few years. From 2017, as kids, they escaped a UFO death cult. Now, two adult brothers seek answers after an old videotape surfaces and brings them back to where they began. It's The Endless. I want to go back. That place is not what you think it is. Gee, lie to you. We couldn't be happier. I saw some of the things last night. There's something out here, isn't there? Happier. Yeah, there is. Happier, happier.
Who's next? So The Endless could have easily been resolution or it could have been spring. It could even have been synchronic because I think Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are are probably, I was going to say the modern equivalent of, and I can't think of who else is doing this or has done this. I mean, this is this is absolutely their area, and they do it so well. I loved Resolution. I know you loved Resolution so much. I reviewed Resolution back, I think we were still with the paper, and I was just given the assignment, knew nothing about it, and it just blew me away. I just loved it. And when we saw this and realized that it tied into that, it made me even more giddy. Absolutely, because that's it's exactly, you know, and I think Spring, I love the film Spring, which I think is their most underseen work at this point. And it's more of a little bit of a sort of a sea creature. It's got more creature feature sort of Lovecraftian elements to it, whereas Resolution and The Endless are more sort of time loopy, you know, in the way that they address it. Although there is this sort of parallel dimension very definitely in these movies and a higher presence of some sort particularly in The Endless. I think that these movies are, more than anything, to me, charming. I'm so charmed by the characters in these films. I think they're, you know, they're sort of adorable. You really root for them, and they have this sense of what could possibly be going on right now in a way that feels very authentic because that's not the only thing on their minds. You know, these two, they're playing brothers. And of course, they're filmmakers who always work together. And that sibling bickering feels so lived in with these two. Yeah, and here, as you just mentioned, they're, they're starring in it as well. Right. Yeah, and they've got a small part in Resolution. So that's how these fit together in a universe that I just really want to keep going back to. Well, and they also fit together because we probably shouldn't spoil since this is more of a recent movie. But something happens in this movie that directly takes it back to a resolution, which is great. And also, since we just mentioned In the Mouth of Madness, I have to say that there's the part when our boys go back to the camp and they meet Jennifer on an empty road, she leaving the area on a bicycle dressed in blue. That could be oh, yeah. a nod to In the Mouth of yeah, Madness. Absolutely yeah. could, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're such good filmmakers. I'm, I'm you know, I'm so pleased to see anything that they do. Um, and I thought that, I don't even know that The Endless is my favorite of their four, but I, I thought it fit this topic the best. Haley, you said that you watched this recently? Yeah, my wife and I watched it. Um, I really enjoyed, like you said, the characters. And um, I, I enjoyed the existential kind of circumstances they're facing this, you know, before they really understand what's going on, but just this, this idea of, you know, the preciousness of mortality versus what's, what else is happening. And although the the scariest part of this movie to me is the one guy in the tent. Yes, Uh absolutely. Oh my God. That part just, that just freaked me out so much. And even, even despite his, the horrible situation he's in, he's still just like, get out of here. Right. You know, don't get caught up in what the shit I'm caught in. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny. I think that one of the reasons this film works so well for me is that the really wild, hard-to-grasp sort of very cosmic elements are rooted in these really primal, very human concepts of, like, belonging and, uh, you know, fraternity. And for me personally, it starts with this anxiety that I always feel in my bones in the movie where you think, 
You're going to try to leave this shitty hometown and you physically cannot get out. And I I have those nightmares about my hometown (laughs) that I'm trying to leave. And for whatever reason, nothing lets me break out of Tiffin, Ohio. That's one of the reasons that the more sort of wild elements work so well is because you believe this group of people, regardless of how nutty the concept is or how nutty the sort of environment is. And it's also the relationship between the brothers as to this cult and the ties to it pull them apart yeah it's a lovely film really and and i would recommend watching everything they do yeah very much so and that is number three the endless from 2017 on our list of cosmic horror moving up to number two another more recent movie this is from 2018 a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply annihilation it's something they termed the shimmer We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You need to know what's inside. So do I. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. This was this was so cool uh, when it came out. I know it. I'm pretty sure it ended up in our best of the year list from 2018. Definitely. But still, I get the feeling that not a lot of people have seen it. I mean, maybe more than I than I would think. More than uh, le- certainly less than it deserves. And it's one of those when you talk about horror, a lot of people might think, "Well, there's not really." And then that one scene hits. You're like, "Okay, all right, it's a, it's a horror movie." I feel it's horror from from pretty much the the start when she, just from dealing with absence and grief. But then, if you want to get some more visceral stuff, the videotape of the intestines deciding they're going to be their own organism, yeah, yeah, or the bear, or just the crocodile. It just, it's just on and on. And the, the climax is like, there's so much in there that, at least for me, gets under my skin. And actually, it's a we talked about, we mentioned the color out of space, where there's a lot of plot points that mirror the color out of space. But for me, and I remember saying this at the time, especially the end, it reminded me a lot of 2001. It really did. I think 2001, in a, in a lot of respects, can be considered a horror film and, and certainly can be considered a, a cosmic horror film. I think a lot of these movies have uh, a lot of the same anxiety in common. And one of the things that I think this one does so well, and of course it's adapted by and then directed by Alex Garland, who wrote 28 Days Later, which is one of the greatest horror movies ever. And he wrote and directed Ex Machina, which is one of the greatest movies ever. So <laughs> we love Alex Garland. And what he does here visually, I think, is is just extraordinary. But uh, what I think he does that I find interesting at this particular type of anxiety that I was mentioning is that he ends with um, there's a there's an optimism or a hope here that has to do with a little bit like the girl with all the gifts. It has to do with look how much better things might be if we just get rid of the human race. Well, and it's a, and, and not just the human race, but anything, any really organism that isn't aggressive. The aggressive ones get annihilated. The ones that aren't get assimilated, and that comes through at the end with the two characters, the two humans who weren't aggressive. Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting idea that, that um, and again, I just, 
I'm not saying that I prefer this idea. I'm just saying I like a film that is not sort of worried about taking that particular perspective. And I think all of the performances here are really great. They've got, of course, I mean, an incredibly strong cast, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and and uh, Tessa Thompson in in support, Oscar Isaac, who's brilliant in everything, and Natalie Portman sort of as as, as leads, so to speak. And Oscar Portman, Isaac, obviously. by the way, apparently he was filming this the exact same time he was filming The Last Jedi. They had adjacent studio lots, and he would just go from one trailer to the other and one character to the other. Wow, one <laughs> of these year. movies. Um, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of cosmic. <laughs> a lot of cosmic. <laughs> one of the things I love is just how, what's the word I'm looking for? Not benign, but just passive the infection in Annihilation is because it's not like it's really focused on anything in particular it's just happening it's just happening like as a kind of area of things the way the way a cloud moves there's no presence to it it's not trying to go after things and change them it just does by its nature it's a fascinating fascinating ride that has bits of bits of horror to it some very even the jump scare like with the bear is kind of a jump scare but uh, yeah it's just a fascinating fascinating trip I think one of the things it does, which I don't know that you would expect from Garland because 28 Days Later certainly doesn't do this. What I think it does, it it combines in this sort of melancholy way, horror and something beautiful that makes you think, it makes you sort of, it, it puts you in a mind where you can think, I can see why people just submit to this, you know? And I think that, again, it's so, in many ways, the opposite of 28 Days Later, like quite the opposite of 28 Days Later, which, again, I think is just an absolutely just brilliant film. And I'm so impressed. And and, and he wrote that from scratch. He wrote this from the series of novels by Jeff Vandermeer, the Southern Reach trilogy. So he took inspiration and content from someplace else. But I just am very impressed by his ability to sort of jump from one extreme to the other and telling somewhat similar tales. So before we get to number one, I just want to uh, pause for a second and talk a little bit about The Worm and His Kings, because I really feel like the fans of this podcast and particularly this particular topic would enjoy this book. As I said, this isn't necessarily, Cosmic Horror isn't necessarily sort of my bag. I was hooked on this book from like the first page. I was so fascinated by the concept of the tunnels, starting with the abandoned subway tunnels and then where that metaphor took us. Um, and I loved how everything tied together. But, you know, one of my favorite things about any piece of writing is if the ending is an absolute surprise to you that you should have seen coming the whole time, but you just didn't. And that's really what this was for me. So uh, thank you for writing it. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I should have a question. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about how the book came about. It started as the lore behind the worm. And I wasn't sure what to do with that first. A long time ago, it was like, well, maybe I'll try writing a novel. Did not work. I tried writing a short story. Didn't work. And it was not really the format that was the problem so much as I needed the right character to approach the situation. That's where Monique came about. Mm -hmm. Um, She was the right way to approach the subject. And then... Probably the most important thing with that is that by being the right character to approach the subject, it became her subject. Um, you know, the, the history of the worm, the lore behind it, the the way the world um, is shaped in this really was about her in so many ways. So the idea of kind of how insignificant the human race would be to a cosmic entity that, you know, can travel millions of years and such is... Um, 
I think reframed by someone who just doesn't care so much about it as much as like, okay, you, you know, there's all this wild stuff that I don't understand is happening. I just need to find the person I love. Yeah, it's a very powerful center. And I think uh, it gives sort of for an authentic way to move forward throughout the whole thing, right? Uh, you know, the the book feels like it's in constant motion. So, it you know, you, you're always turning to the next page because, because, I mean, the character is in constant motion, which I thought was another really smart way to, to put the story together. I think she, she's always, um, one of the things that was important, once she gets back up to the surface, like I think in chapter two, that's like her last point uh, top side after that every stairway every like inclining hallway every every place she's always moving downward deeper and deeper beneath the city deeper and deeper into the cult situation the worm situation the, the darkness that's hiding underneath the worm and his kings out now by Haley piper on off limits press so uh, check it out as we Talk about cosmic horror and move up to number one on our list. And this has made a few lists. It's a favorite on Fright Club. Uh, from 2007, a freak storm unleashes a species of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a small band of citizens hole up in a supermarket, fight for their lives. It's the mist. What's going on? It's death. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! It is time to take sides. Read the good book. It calls for blood. I promise you won't let the monsters get me. Who she's gonna sacrifice to make it all better? We want the boy. You try it. Kill him! My first experience with this was the book, but like, and it follows a lot of that pretty, I mean, pretty accurately, I think. But, um, God, it, it, feels so much more severe to me it um the circumstances the the idea of being trapped with all these people and having no understand no connection to the outside world no understanding what's happening in this whole catastrophe and the monumental nature of it because it has engulfed everything that they know and love to the point that you get near to later in the movie and you see this colossal creature like way bigger than anything they've ever seen and it just doesn't care that they're there. They, the, the people beneath at its feet are inconsequential. It's just a really startling idea of like, what would you even do in this circumstance? You wouldn't know what to do. And we love this one. We just, love, I mean, we, we've talked about this movie so many times. And of course, as people know that the black and white version is absolutely glorious. The oh, ending, I love that. Yeah. The ending has obviously, I think it was a number one of our, of our best ending films yeah, and it's, in the top 10 anyway. And that was a, one of the conditions that Frank Darabont uh, agreed to take the movie on only if the ending did not get changed, which was smart on his part because I can definitely see them in a focus group and some studio guy go, no, no, it's got to be different than that. But uh, they had to keep that ending and ma it, it makes colossal difference. Uh, one of the things I love with that is when Frank Darabont, uh, I, this is anecdotal and maybe it's been mentioned on the show before, but one of the things I was Frank Darabont told Stephen King how he wanted, how he was going to do the ending differently from the book. And Stephen King's reaction was, I should have thought of that. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, was, <laughs> we're not the first ones to point out that sometimes Stephen King's endings can, you know, leave a little bit wanting. And boy, <laughs> this one does not. Well, the, the movie doesn't know. And, and, you know, I love it's definitely a Stephen King book, but it's so Lovecraft. It's so much more Lovecraft than I think um, really of, of anything else that he's done. And I think that they do a great job of blending those two things 
visually in this movie. And I do think that it's it's a cosmic horror because it is. It's like they've opened something up and this stuff came through. So I feel like it fits this. But I, I feel like a lot like The Endless, one of the reasons the, the film is so powerful is because you're so invested in the characters. You know, Thomas Jane is great. Marsha Gay Harden. Yes. Oh, my God. She's glorious. Of course, so when is good. she not? Um, and Toby Jones, too, who's also always yeah. great in everything. I love Toby Jones so much in this. And also the glass, the the windows, you know, so often in, in a horror film, you're trapped inside a building, but you can't see out. And in this case, the fact that they're so vulnerable because of how fragile that glass front is, and they also can't turn away. But because of the fog and the steam, they, the mist, excuse me, they can't entirely see either. It gave the filmmaker a ton of options, but it also ge- generated such a, a different type of tension because at a certain point, it's just as dangerous inside as outside, of course, and that has to happen. But that glass front is such an interesting way to keep the two worlds always sort of in your periphery. Yeah, and apparently it's the glass that gave Stephen King the idea for the book. He was in a a market in Warehouse, Maine, and he was in a market that had a window made of plate glass, and he just wondered what would happen if giant insects flew into it. And there you go. There you go. (laughs) There's your inspiration. And since everybody that listens to the podcast, you should know by now, I'm an aficionado of the Wilhelm Scream. This movie has the Wilhelm Scream. It's when the character Cornell dies. You hear the Wilhelm Scream. (laughs) And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. So the myth, number one on our list of cosmic horror. And that is a good list. Not only a good list, but lots of other ones bubbling under. Ones that we we talked about that almost made it. So a lot to digest there. Maybe if you haven't seen, some to go look up and, and a lot to appreciate as always. And we very much appreciate our special guest, Haley Piper, author of the book The Worm and His Kings. As we mentioned, it's out now on Off Limits Press. We thank you so much for joining in. Where can everybody find you? Um, I am at uh, com, and I'm on Twitter at Haley Piper Says. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a blast. We're glad to do it. Appreciate all your input. And, of course, you can find us, as always, at Fright Club Pod on Twitter. As we mentioned, the brand new Facebook group is Fright Club Podcast. Love to have you join that. On uh, Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews of all the new releases and our other weekly podcast that covers all the uh, new movie releases called Screening Room. You can always uh, find that at madwolf.com. So the next podcast, the next one we're going to do is Up for Grabs. We haven't decided what it will be, so why don't we put that to the uh, the group? See if they want to throw out some ideas for our next podcast. Okay, the Fright Club podcast group on Facebook. Yeah, let's, love it. Let's try that. And then the one after that, we have an upcoming one in February with Jamie Ray from the Fave Five from Fans podcast, and we're going to do one kind of dedicated to George. We're going to do one about motorcycles and horror, but also I just want to thank Jamie, who he celebrated his first year, his, his one year anniversary with the podcast which he co-hosted with his daughter, and they went back through all their favorite moments from all of the episodes from last year, and they said lovely things about us, and they talked about uh, Duran Duran. So, <laughs> hooray! Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> Motorcycle horror, I like that. It's it's 36 degrees here today. Can we get the bike out? No, we can't. A little too chilly. Okay. Haley Piper, thank you so much again. Look up Haley and check out her book, The Worm and His Kings. And until next time, she is Hope Madden. He is George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Okay, Haley, do the honors. Stay frightful, my friends. Yay! Yay.